Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Welcome to another edition of the Better Together podcast. My name is Rosario Picardo. And I'm Callie Picardo. And today we have a really exciting guest with us. We've got Peter Mutabazi. And Peter has an incredible story himself um, and is now helping others have a powerful story as well. When he was 10 years old, he ran away from an abusive home in rural Uganda and survived by God's grace on the streets of Kampala until there was someone who stepped in his life. A man saw his potential and supported Peter through school, gave him new opportunities. And then Peter has helped countless other kids. He's helped during the Rwandan genocide. He's helped with the Red Cross during the Sudan conflict. And he immigrated to the United States and has now fostered countless children uh, becoming a single foster parent and adoptive parent. And he has shared his story in the book, Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. Friends, you are in for a treat. Peter, welcome to the Better Together podcast. Well, thank you for having me here. Truly a joy to be with you, uh, both of you. Peter, will you share um, with our listeners just a little bit about the story? We obviously want people to be able to read the whole story for themselves in the book, but will you kind of share share a little bit about your story? How how did you become who you are today, where you are today? Yes, well, it's a long story, so I'm I'm glad people are gonna read the details of what my journey was. But you know, grew up as a, as a kid who you know had no place to dream. You know, grew up in a place where no one ever told me that there was a future for me. And the reasons are, uh, you know, I was born in a village where most kids would die before the age of two. So actually, I didn't have a name until two years old. Two years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason, you know, reasons are. Um, that for every 100 children were born, you know, 60 would die before the age of two, two for lack of food, but also for drinking, you know, dirty that was, you know, water that was contaminated and they would lose their lives. Malaria too, you know, when you're not malnourished really well, when you get malaria, your life is kind of, um, would diminish so quickly. So that was me, you know, as a kid, I had no really hope, you know, at the age of four, I could go fetch water three to, you know, three miles one way and back twice a day. You know, I was able to to contribute to the family by helping in, in every way, shape form I could. And we're poor. So it, it wasn't just me poor, but everyone around me was poor. You know, so when you can't see a better life somewhere, it's hard to dream what you don't know, you know. So I think for me, they were really glimpse of hope in some way. You know, as a kid, there was no childhood that I ever experienced. You know, at the age of three, I was able to do things that a 10-year-old can do. At the age of four, you know, I mean, literally I could do most what kids what I'm supposed to do at the age of four. And then at the age of four, I began to realize that also that my father was different, that my dad was just abusive in every shape form you can imagine. 
So for me, I had poverty outside and the misery outside that I didn't want to think about. But then in my own home, a place where I should have been safe was also really the worst place to be. So for me, I didn't want to dream for tomorrow, you know, because today was bad enough that I didn't want to see it repeat the next day. So that was really my life as a kid where I just didn't dream. I didn't want to think about tomorrow because today was just hard. Uh, and then at the age of 10, I I, I don't know, I, I think I thought at the age of 10, you know, most of us don't really think that straight, but I thought, <laughs> I, I think my father is going to kill me, but why should I give him the opportunity to do so? I would rather die in the hands of a stranger. So I went to the bus station. I'd never been 20 miles away and I went 500 kilometers away and I ended up in Kampala and became a street kid. And when did you end up coming to the U.S.? Well, that took longer. So, so while on the streets of Kampala, you know, I go to, you know, I had been on the streets for five years. So I was about 15. So I met a stranger, you know, I was trying to steal from someone and, and this person stopped and said, Hey, you know, don't, don't eat my food. What's your name? And that scared me. Like, wait a minute, you want to know my name? Because I had been on the streets for five years and no one had ever asked me what my name was. And here there is a stranger who's saying, Hey, what's your name? So for me, that scared me because everyone who was kind was also abusive. So kindness was a sign of run for your life. It wasn't like, oh, this person is really kind. To us, it was more of run, you know, Uh, run. And that became my life, Uh, you know, so he offered me food and then he he left. I saw him the next week, the next week, you know, the fourth week, I kind of knew what, what he buys when he comes to the city and he fed me for one year and a half because he was just kind to me, you know, which was rare as a street kid. And and he fed me for one year and a half. And one day he said, hey, if you have an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school? And I was like, wait, me? You know, why would I want to go to school? I'm a garbage boy. I'll never amount to anything. I'm I'm worthless. Those are the words I had from my father. That there's no way I can go to school. But he 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 just I didn't I couldn't I couldn't believe what he was saying. So he left. So the next time he came, he changed the language. He said, Hey, if you, if you go to school, there'll be lunch, dinner, and breakfast. That's all I had. Food? <laughs> I will go for food, you yes. know? Uh, it's amazing. You know, when we lack things, it's hard to see more than what you lack for, you know? As, as a foster dad, sometimes people say, you need to do this for your kids. I'm like, they're still living in a survival mode, you know? So until they know or they're out of that, that they're able to see beyond that. And so it was, as soon as he mentioned school, I said, sure. And so he took me to school. And it changed my life. Uh, not only did I go to high school, but I went to university in Uganda. And then I went to university in England. And that's how I came to the United States as a student uh, on a scholarship. You mentioned that it's so hard to start to change that narrative. I mean, you'd always heard you weren't going to amount to anything. And how did that narrative start to change? How did you start to move from survival mode to being able to trust someone that was kind to even be open to dream again? Well, yeah. So I think I'd been beaten down so bad, you know. And as a street kid, I was treated more like a stray animal, you know, someone who did, you know, I slept in the sewer, I scavenged through the garbage, you know. So that's how people looked at us as useless, as nobody is. Um, 
But I think for me, I was at my lowest in life. But someone saw the best in me, you know, that he didn't. He didn't call me names. He was always kind to me. And I think that is really what made me feel like, wait a minute, maybe there's something special about me that this stranger can feed this thief, this little boy, this, you know, good for nothing boy. Like maybe there's something really, something good about me. But he, he was kind. Like he was kind in a way that I would say, I, I feel like if how, if, if angels treat people that way, I mean, he was truly an angel in so many ways because he, he was always kind. He was always polite he he never shared with me the gospel he just acted it every day and i think that gave me a glimpse of little glimpse of hope but also he's the only person that called me by my name which kind of brought my mother's uh memories in in a way you know that really made me feel of you know hey my, maybe my mom is close uh or the sound of her or you know, the dreams she would tell us that weren't coming true, but as a mother, she would share with us, um, really came true. And the reason why I really miss my mom or I, I dreamt of my mom is because she received the same abuse I got. So she could not protect me because the same abuse came to her. Uh, and it's hard to, to protect someone when you're getting abused for protecting them in so many ways. Uh, and so that's why for me, his idea of calling me by my name began to give me a little glimpse, you know, like a little glimpse, like maybe this is not the end of my life. Maybe this person is really kind. And him offering me school, it was more like, wait a minute, you know, I, I'm just thinking about trusting you. You're offering things that I never thought I could could go to. And you're serious about it. Maybe there's something about me that you see that I should pay attention to. Peter, you have such joy about you. And I feel like so many people would become hardened and bitter after the childhood you had. How did you get on? How did you go through that journey of, it seems like you've had some healing. I don't want to assume that you have, but it just with the joy you have, it seems like you've gone on a healing journey. Any wisdom? Because I know there are a lot of others out there that are living with bitterness inside. Correct. You know, I think at the age of eight, I, you know, one day my dad had beat me so, so bad and he had asked me to go fetch water. So I had to go get water three miles away and back on my way back. I saw him smiling and playing cards and just enjoying and drinking with his friends. And I thought, wait a minute, I've been sulking all day for the beatings that I got, but this man has no clue he's having a good time. And I think my mind switched and said, look, I'm going to let you abuse me physically, but mentally, I'm going to not let you go there, you know? So at the age of eight, I kind of figured that, like, I, I should not sulk, you know, but at the same time, uh, I shouldn't really take so much of what he was doing or saying mentally for me. So even when I went on the streets of Kampala, when people, whatever people said, I tried to really keep it distance, you know, that that's what you say, but that's not who I am, you know, in some way, because I had learned how to do that with my dad. And then once I went to school and I saw the opportunity that I had, I, was, I thought, wait a minute. Yes, I hated my dad. Yes, <laughs> I couldn't stand him. But I also figured that me hating my dad was giving him an opportunity to take over my future, you know, that I really understood the life of Joseph so well because my, my first parents really taught me the life of Joseph. You know, when his brothers found him, you know, on, on what he said, he said, for what you meant for evil, God has used it for good to save lives. And that really helped me to say, look, yes, I had a bad childhood. Yes, life was miserable. But I'm not going to let it determine what my future is, but I'm going to use it as a foundation to help myself 
and to help others as well. And that's really what helped me to overcome all that because I did, I knew the past will ruin my future, but I wanted the best for me. And I think the scriptures too. I mean, I think it's Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, that I wanted to, to believe that. And I think that really came true and easy for me to understand that if this stranger can love me, then there has to be some plan that God has for me that really helps me to really not look back and say, look, he wanted the worst for me, but somehow, you know, another stranger has seen the best for me that I should take advantage of. You know, many people become so bitter and, um, you know, it's, it's hard to recover from trauma. And uh, it's obvious that you've been on the road of recovery and healing. Um, especially during um, during these recent years. And um, how has that shaped you for uh, your present tech context now? I mean, you know, it's really helped me see empathy, you know, empathy through others suffering, you know, because I feel like that's how this man saw me. He's so... He saw potential in a kid who had no hope, had no place, had no... Uh, nothing in life that he he was counting on. But for him, he he just looked at me and said, I'm going to inspire this kid. You know, I'm going to walk his journey. I can say, yes, I'm still hitting to this day. Um, you know, it doesn't stop the, the trauma, but, but, but I get to really live a better life because I understand my journey better. Um, that really helped me uh, to see the best in myself, you know. And, and, and as I said earlier, I really... For me being angry and for me not doing well, it was in some way giving my father every word he said a meaning, you know, that he said I will never mount anything. So for me not really taking taking uh, the advantage of what I had was believing that I was useless, you know, uh, and I didn't want that. I really didn't want um, the power of the words he used, the, the scars he'd created on me uh, to somehow let them in some way push or come with me or hold back what I was capable of doing or what I could do. And I think that's where I found joy, you know, that God has plans for us, that like in every good and bad, that he loves us. When I came to the United States, I really struggled with my faith first because I think I saw wealth and I saw how much food was thrown away. And I think I began to ask God, God, do you love us the same way? That others can have so much to throw away, but others can die for having a lack of the simple basic things like beans and potatoes, you know? And I think I through the wrestling, I really began to see how, you know, someone 139 really helped me, you know, and how David says, you know, for you know when I wake up, you know when I lie, like you know everything about me, you know, that my brain is too much, too hard to attain how you love me. And I love what he says in 14, he says, for you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, that he created me not depending on what I have or what I could eat, but because he loves me and he created me in his own image that things that surround me do not determine who he made me, you know? Yes, those are blessings to have extra food, you know, but even in not having that he loves me, even having difficult childhood, you know, in that chapter, he says, you know, there's no way I can hide from you. Even when I go to hell, you you are there, you know, uh, that knew he was there no matter where I went. And I love that that kind of has played into the title of your book, The Now I Am Known, the idea that you are fully known and fully loved. Like when someone got to know you, 
you are also loved. And I know that's the love God has for us, but it sounds like that's the love you were shown and now are showing to others. I think people still have a hard time receiving that love sometimes though, especially if they've had a hard past. Um, if a lot of, a lot of people I know feel like God can't use me because my past, my past disqualifies me in some way. What would you say to someone today? Um, perhaps something that it might be something that you're sharing with the kids that you're caring for, but what do you say to someone that says, God can't use me. I can't amount to anyone. God can't have a plan for me because of my past. No, that's a lie. I mean, if he can use me, oh, he can use anyone for what I've gone through, for what I have faced in my life, that he can use anyone. And those are the lies people have taught us. Those are the lies that society tells us. Those are the lies of, you know, that 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 have created scars on us that we still go back to those scars and say, with my scar, I'm not sure I'm pure enough. With my scar, I'm not sure I'm good enough, you know? That's not true. You know, that is not true. Those are the lies of people who do not want the best for us, who don't see the value in us, or do not who don't understand how truly each one of us were created uh, in God's image. But also, too, that, yes, he's allowed us to go through a difficult time, but he will come with us and be upon us and 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 help us overcome even those doubts. Yes, I I'm a, I'm a dad of you know I've had 28 kids. Sure, someday sometimes I doubt myself, you know. But then I look back and say, you've walked with me as a little boy. You you rescued me as a street kid. You gave me a family I didn't have, and you gave me a place to dream. Today is not the time I should doubt you because I can look back and I like the Bible how it says. You remember what I did to your forefathers? You know, I feel like I go back to my own life. I was like, Peter, do you remember how he rescued you? That really helps me to know that there's more he can do for me. You know, I, again, what, the words of, De- of of Joseph, you know, he says, for what you meant for evil, God has used it for good to save lives. He will use your your scars. He will use your your hard life, your 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 bad marriage you had before, the bad friend or the bad family, like he will use it, you know, uh, and he will use it to save your own life and and those are around you. I have more empathy than I sh- I think I I would not have had had I not gone through what I went through, you know. That that empathy really helps me to to be an advocate for the most vulnerable because I was one of them, but also to be hopeful because I can give hope because I was given hope. Peter, uh, you have obviously shared this empathy with a lot of others. 28 kids. Raz and I are trying to deal with three kids and still like, I don't know what we're doing. Um, But tell us a little bit about your journey of being a foster and adoptive parent. Yes. Again, when I came to the United States, I think, again, I, I I was shocked to see, you know, that, wait, we have 420,000 kids in the false care? Like, wait a minute. You know, the most wealthiest place on the planet, you know. And I think for me, I was convicted. You know, Luke 12, 48 says, too much is given, much is required. That I feel I have been given so, so much. A kid who had no home to sleep, now I have home to sleep. A kid who didn't have a place to dream, now I can dream. A kid who didn't have a family, now I have family. A kid, I, I slept under the sewer. I slept in the garbage. But to this day, I've been to 101 countries. To think of coming from that world and being here, 
like, man, there's so much I can give. There's so much that I have. And I think for me, that was a conviction that I wanted to help kids in the post care because I was one of them, unwanted, unloved, not feeling I belong, not feeling, one, I mean, in, in every shape form that I wanted to truly be a dad to them and, 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 and look in their eyes and, and bring them home. And I say, I feel you because at some point I was like you, but someone rescued me and that's what he made me. And I'm here to come alongside you and encourage you. But too, as a street kid, I had people cast my mom, like what a mother would let their kids be on the streets. Yes, we know some moms here, you know, they go through struggle and they need a little glimpse of hope and someone to come alongside as a resource and help them. And that's my job too. My job is not to judge their moms, their dads, but to come alongside and encourage them to encourage them in everything that they do so they can have their kids back. And that's really been a joy for me to be a dad. And this is my community. Like I should not expect someone else to come and take care of their kids in my county. It is my account, you know, my county and it's my community and it's my opportunity and joy to say, I have an extra bedroom. I'm going to invite a kid. I have extra love in my heart and empathy. I'm really going to help someone who's struggling with us. And that's why I became a foster dad. What, <clears throat> what, um, I mean, how has, is, you know, hearing you talk, how has faith kind of shaped you in this whole experience? I mean, I've heard you share, um, scripture verses. And of course, I'm a, I'm a pastor and church planter of a multi ethnic church. Callie's on our preaching team. And so, um, it sounds like faith is an element on this journey for you. Do you want to maybe share a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So I hope you're going to invite me to come and share in your church someday, right? <laughs> I like yes, that. Yes, I was yes. already I was already thinking about that actually. Um so we'd love we'd love to have you uh in Dayton, Ohio. Absolutely, so. yes. I would love that. Well, I think for me, I you know, first of all, I struggled with faith because my father was Roman Catholic and I could not understand how you can be so mean to your family, but at the same time, be so religious, you know? And because I hated him, I didn't want anything to do with him. But the stranger who, you know, took me in really didn't share with me the gospel. He just lived it, you know? And I wanted what he had. I was like, how can, like this guy, how can he be so kind to a stranger? And I wanted what he had and I found out his faith. And I was like, man, I adore this guy. I need to know Christ my Lord and Savior. But my hatred towards my dad did not did not give me the opportunity to to somehow walk that journey, because for me I felt the Bible was unfair. For the Bible says, "Forgive even those who wronged against you." For me, I didn't feel like my father deserved to be forgiven. I was like, "No, no, no, no." So then I couldn't live two double lives. So I said, "I'm gonna put my Christian faith or my desire to be a believer on the side, so I can really hold my anger towards my dad." So then, in 1994, during the genocide, I was asked. To to go rescue the children. And on my first day in Rwanda, I saw more than 3,000 dead bodies. You know, at that point, I knew I was going to die, you know. So I turned to the driver, I said, we're going to die, but I want to go heaven and I don't know Christ my Lord and Savior. And he said, come on, you walk for compassion. You go to church, you are a believer. I said, no, I look like one. I act like one, but I don't know him as my Lord and Savior. So that was one thing that really made me, uh, you know, want to be a believer right away. But the other part was seeing how people could do such a 
heinous crime towards others, you know, that they will kill a million people in eight weeks. I said, how could people do that? But as I was pointing a finger, that same three were pointing towards me that that's what I wanted to do my, to my dad, that I hated him so much that I was capable of doing that. And man, that day I had to repent. I had to say, God, forgive me, you know, and that's really how I became a believer. So since then, it's truly been my journey. You know, there's nothing in me that I have done to say that I got to be where I am because I worked hard. No, this stranger picked me off of the street at my lowest point. You know, I go to meet an American who was serving in Sudan that came back and applied for a, a, a student for me to come and study. I didn't plan to come here. Well, I went to England to study because I hosted, you know, British visitors who were visiting and they went back and they said, we want to give Peter a present, you know? So there's nothing in life I can say, I did so hard to earn any, any favors, but really God has brought people alongside to truly see more than what I sometimes see myself. So for me, faith is all I have. Faith is all that really carries me through. And without that, I don't think I would be a dad, especially to, to foster kids. They have trauma, you know, the, the challenge that they have to, to overcome every day. You need God's grace and mercy literally on your knees every day. Uh, and that's really what has helped me, you know, to be a dad of who I am. But two has made me a better believer. You know, I think I thought I was a Christian until I became a foster dad. Then I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Talk about grace. Like, I don't know. Talk about unconditional love. I was like, really? Can I love this child, really, for what he's done and told me? And and through that, just really looking back and say, God, you every day I am sinful, but yet you love me. And it's easy for me to love my kids because I have been loved first. Oh, I love it. You just unpacked the gospel for us and a way to live out that gospel. And oh my goodness, what an incredible ministry you have, Peter, and the way you share your story. So powerful. I know I'm sure listeners are saying, gosh, I want to know more about Peter. Can you tell us a little bit about if someone wanted to read your book, where they might find it? So they can find my book on any bookstore, Amazon, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, anywhere. And also you can go to my website, Now I'm Known, and I'll sign it. I'll sign it for you and I'll send it to you if you come to my website, Now I'm Known. You can also follow me on TikTok, Now I'm Known, on uh, uh, YouTube, Now I'm Known, and on Instagram, Forced That Flipper. And the reason why I like that name is he made me known. I was a garbage boy. I was useless, but he made me known. And it's my journey to make others known as well. That when people buy a book, they get to help me be... Foster more children, adapt more children, and also advocate for our kids as well. Oh, my goodness. Praise God, Peter. Well, thank you for sharing with us today. Friends, I pray you've been blessed by Peter's story. And if it's blessed you, I pray that you would share it and bless someone else as well. Until next time, remember, we are better together. God bless.